good to see you this morning, and if you're watching online, welcome. Thanks for, for doing that. When I was in fifth grade, so um, like 10 years old, uh, I fell for a girl named Kelly Reed. We would, um, you know, hang out together at recess, and, uh, and pretty soon she became my girlfriend, right? We were going out. And, uh, and, and I, I just knew that she was the one, that she was the love of my life. And so as, as um, Valentine's Day approached, I decided that I wanted to make a grand gesture of my love and devotion. So I saved up my money, like 12 bucks, and I, I went to the nicest store I could think of, Kmart. And they had this little, like, jewelry counter, and I, uh, I picked out a ring. It was this um, ring with a pink stone in it. And I, and I gave up my 12 bucks, and I got this ring. And then Valentine's Day came, and I pledged my deepest love and commitment to Kelly, and, um, and I sealed my promise with a ring. And that's where things went sideways. <laughs> um, because she was not as thrilled as I was, evidently, about this whole deal. And uh, in fact, I recall her running away at recess. And then later on in the day, through a note, she broke up with me. Still a little hurt over it. <laughs> Anybody here ever have romances in elementary school? Okay, I'm literally the only one. Okay. Wow. As I, as I look back on it now, um, I think that maybe the ring was too much, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So much for the big promise, right? I think that we have all grown up um, with promises, right? We've all made promises. We've all had promises made to us. And one thing that I learned very early on in life is this, that it's way easier to make a promise than it is to keep a promise, <laughs> right? I mean, you can promise anything you want. It's more challenging if you're going to actually, you know, follow through with it. And I also know that around this topic of promises, that many of us in this room, it's, it's not just light or, you know, silly like, you know, my 10-year-old, you know, Romance. Many of us have experienced deep and painful wounds around promises that went unmet in our lives, right? In fact, some of us, even to this day, maybe years and years, decades later, those wounds still come up. They still kind of rear their ugly head, and, and you can trace it all the way back to promises that were broken or promises that were never kept. And they can be painful. In fact, our experiences often influence our ability to trust anyone who makes a promise. 
and that extends even to our relationship with God. That, that some of us, you may not even know where this comes from or where it's rooted, but some of us really struggle with trusting God or taking Him at His word. And oftentimes that goes back to our experiences of broken promises. And today we are launching a new series from the book of Acts, and it all began with a promise. This whole thing that we'll dive into, it all began with a promise. We're calling this new series, uh, by the way, Family Spirit. And, and the reason we're calling it that is because it's about the origins of our church family and the spirit who empowered it. Right? That's, that's the book of Acts in, in a nutshell. The origins of the church family and the spirit who empowered it all. And over the coming months, we are going to be exploring the book of Acts, looking at the arrival of the Spirit and the impact that it had on the early church. And, uh, and, and not just the early church, but because of what the Spirit did then and continues to do now, we're also looking at the impact right now, today, in our own lives, in our own church. And as we will see in this series, God promised, God promised, that his church would be, it would be a particular kind of family. And, and that it would only be possible through the presence and the power of his spirit. That's the only way that this, this new community, this new family could be a reality is if we have the power and the presence of the spirit. That's what God promised. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to, give, uh, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Right? Jesus was promising the coming of the Spirit. He referred to the Spirit as our helper. We will have another helper. Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to leave my Spirit with you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. That promise that Jesus made was fulfilled in Acts, as we'll see in just a couple of weeks as we walk through this book. But here's what that means, and I want you to know that this is not just history looking back. This has something to do with you right now, today, that because Jesus' promise to send his spirit was fulfilled in Acts, it means this, that every person in this room who knows Jesus and loves Jesus, it means this, that you have a helper, that you are not alone and you will never be alone, and that this, this task that God has given you, this purpose that God has given you for your life, you will always have all that you need to do all he asks of you because he fulfilled his promise in sending his spirit. You have the power to live the, the life that Jesus died for in his spirit. So this is not just history. This isn't looking back and saying, oh, this will be an interesting study of history and what the church did. This has everything to do with today. Because what the advent, the coming of the Spirit, has changed everything for our lives. 
Jesus promised that the Spirit would be poured out and that that Spirit would fill us and give us every single thing we need to live out God's plans and purposes for our lives. But I want you to know this, that the gift of the Spirit was not, was not simply, uh, you know, when you hear the word helper, you kind of go, that's cool, God gave me an assistant, right? I want you to know that it's far more than an assistant. The living presence of the Spirit is God's tangible love being poured out continuously in your life. Just think about that. The presence of His Spirit is actually a tangible expression of His love for you constantly being filling your heart, your life. And that is what was promised. And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next several months. And, and I want you to know that as I've been preparing for this series, I have been praying and asking that God would pour out His Spirit on us in a fresh way, just as He did on the early church. You see, the, the pouring out of God's Spirit was not just a one-time event, but as we will see as we walk through the book of Acts, it, it continued to happen over and over and throughout the history of the church. And I pray that God will pour his spirit out on us in a fresh way, will fill us in a fresh way. That's what I've been praying. And I've been praying that with expectancy. And I want to invite you to pray that too. Would you? Would you begin to pray, God, would you do something new and fresh in me? I'm, I'm open to that. I want that in my life. I've been praying that. And I trust that he will meet us in that. So let's dive in. We, we call this the book of Acts. Um, it's actually kind of, you know, uh, kind of different names have been used to identify this book. We call it Acts. I think that, that Acts itself is just kind of like a pretty short, it's not very descriptive. Perhaps a more descriptive term is this. The Acts of God through the Holy Spirit in the church, is what this is about. The acts of God through the Holy Spirit in the church. If you don't know this, the book of Acts is a sequel. Did you know that? It's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So if you look in the New Testament, about halfway through your Bible here, it starts the New Testament where Jesus comes on the scene. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John records for us the life, the teaching, the works of Jesus, right? And Luke, the one who wrote that gospel, also wrote Acts, and they go together. Luke uh, was a physician, and he traveled with the Apostle Paul, and first he wrote about the life of Jesus. He wrote about the things that he did, the things that he taught, the significance of his life. And then... After Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, he then wrote Acts as he began to chronicle the birth of the church and the coming of the Spirit and all that happened in the wake of that. And linking those two, he ends Luke and begins Acts in the exact same place as Jesus is giving some final instructions to his followers. And Acts begins with a confirmation that Jesus is actually alive and that the promised Holy Spirit 
will come. You can bet on it. He will come and empower the mission to bring Jesus to all the world. That's what Acts is all about. And so if you have a Bible with you or if you have a Bible app or something, I want to encourage you to turn to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 1. This morning we're just going to look at the sort of the introduction, the first five verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what God's Word says. In the first book, O Theophilus, first book, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke, right? Uh, Theophilus, by the way, both of these, Luke and this, both attribute these being written to a person named Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? No idea. Um, There's nothing else written about him. We don't know who this is. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. After he, had given, uh, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We're going to stop right there. Just those first few verses I want to talk about as we dive into this book. The introduction reassures and prepares us for what God has called his family to do. And Luke reminds his readers that in my first book, I told you all about Jesus. I told you all about the things he did, all the things that he taught. And then he ended that with the ascension of Jesus, which was one of those moments that would have been pretty awesome to see, right? He's gathered with his followers. He he gives his final words to them. He says, I need to leave. I'm out of here. And literally, he is ascended. He rises right before their eyes to go to be at the Father's right hand. Pretty awesome. And then Luke uses this opportunity at the beginning of Acts to confirm once again that Jesus is alive. You see, our entire faith is rooted in the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. If it didn't happen, then let's all go home, right? Like, why be here? Why do any of this if he wasn't raised? And so, wisely and directed by God's Spirit, Luke begins Acts by saying he's alive. In fact, he he, uh, tells us that during those 40 days after his resurrection, that with many proofs, Jesus proved to them over and over again that I am alive. This is real. Luke also tells us that during those 40 days, Jesus taught his apostles, it says, through the Holy Spirit. Which is very interesting. He taught them through the Holy Spirit. And what was happening was that the Spirit helped them understand more fully who Jesus was and what he came to do. You see, even up to that point, they had spent three years with Jesus. They had seen him do all these amazing things. They saw him crucified and they didn't understand that. And then he was risen from the dead and they really didn't understand that, but it was awesome. But they still weren't really connecting all of the dots. They weren't understanding that this was God's plan from the very beginning. And so it says that during those 40 days, Jesus began to teach them. 
And the Holy Spirit enabled them to connect the dots and understand, oh, this is who Jesus is. This is why he came. This is why he had to die and why he rose from the dead. And it began to be clear. In fact, in the final chapter of Luke's gospel, he records these words of Jesus. Listen to this. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It is extremely important, extremely important, both for the faith of those disciples and for our faith today, that Jesus connected the dots and that he emphasized this, that God always, always keeps his promises. Because he even referred back, he said, all the way back into the things that Moses wrote and the prophets and the Psalms, all of those prophetic promises that were made about Jesus, God fulfilled. He keeps his promises. It was extremely important that he made sure they knew that, and it's extremely important that we know that, that he always keeps his promises. All those promises made, all those prophetic words that were spoken from the very beginning, Jesus is saying to them, I am living proof that my Father always keeps his promise." God's promise to send a Savior dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the very beginning. He began to communicate the promise that I will send a Savior to you. Just after Adam and Eve's disobedience and when sin entered the human experience, God spoke of what he would do one day to remedy this brokenness that had now happened In fact, right there, right after their fall into sin, God spoke of what he would one day do prophetically, and he spoke these words to Satan. He said this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head. Some versions say he will crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Now, that might not seem exactly clear, but as the story continues to unfold, you realize that what he was referring to there is is out of your offspring, speaking of one day the coming of Jesus being born into this world. And it says that you, speaking of Satan, will bruise his heel, which was speaking of his death on the cross, but he will crush you. He will bruise you and your head as he rises from the dead and for once and for all breaks the curse of sin. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, God inspired prophets to predict how the Messiah would fulfill his promise to send a Savior. In fact, Jesus' birth, his life, 
his death, his resurrection, was prophetically promised over 300 times throughout the scriptures. Let me just say that one more time. God's prophetic promises, which were written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, are recorded for us over over 300 different specific promises made by God pointing to Jesus. The virgin birth was prophesied. And God promised to send a son who would be God with us. Isaiah chapter 7. It was promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. That Jesus' hands and feet would be pierced. And that the words Jesus spoke on the cross were recorded for us in Psalm chapter 22. Isaiah prophetically promised that Jesus would heal the blind and the lame and the deaf. And he said that he would be beaten and crucified and that he would be pierced with a spear. Isaiah 35 and 52. The promises of God regarding Jesus are numerous. Hundreds and hundreds of times God promised, this is what I'm going to do, and I always keep my promises. In fact, I went online and just kind of looked up a list of the promises, the prophecies, and the fulfillment of those, and just sort of written in this long list. And I just want you to run through this real quick to just see how God keeps his promises. Pretty awesome, huh? Each promise made was a promise kept in the birth and life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And here's the thing. Not only has God fulfilled all of his promises, but he's also fulfilled all of his promises right on time. In fact, listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, or at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. At just the right time, God sent his son. In the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he reminded his followers that he was the living fulfillment of all those promises that God had made because God always keeps his promises. Then Luke reminds us of a promise that Jesus made. Let me read it again. Acts 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Just as God had made good on his promise to send a Savior, so he will make good on his promise to send his Spirit. See, Jesus was not the only one that was prophetically promised in the Bible. Holy Spirit was also prophetically promised. I will 
give you my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Joel, in Joel 2, verse 28, says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. That was written hundreds of years before what we call Pentecost, the pouring out of God's spirit. But not only did God prophetically promise that years and years earlier, but Jesus himself spoke to his followers and said, this will happen. I will pour out my spirit on you. But you know what he said right after that? He said, but here's what you're going to have to do. Wait. Right? Jesus was the living fulfillment of all the promises of God, hundreds of years until it became fulfilled. And then he said, my spirit will be poured out on you. You can count on it because my promises are always fulfilled. But for now, you need to wait. I don't know about you, but I don't really like waiting. Maybe some of you do, but I doubt it. Right? I mean, nobody likes to wait. In fact, we live in a culture where we don't wait for anything. Just this week, I was sitting at a light, and so I was in like the turn lane, and then the two lanes next to me were, were straight through. We were all at a red light, and I just happened to be looking up at the light the moment for, for the other two lanes, it turned green. And the second it turned green, the car behind the first car started honking. I mean, instantaneously. <clears throat> Hurry up, right? That's happened to you, I'm sure, or maybe... You're the person who does that. I, I don't know, but I do know that we live in a fast food, order ahead, Amazon same day, I want it now culture, right? We don't wait for anything. And we get ticked off when we do. And yet God in his infinite wisdom said, I always keep my promises. I always keep them right on time. But sometimes you need to wait. You need to wait. For me. I will pour out my spirit. It will be powerful. It will be earth shaking. It will be a new reality in this world. But first, you need to wait. What the first five verses of Acts tells us is that God always keeps his promises. And he always will. And the question is, when he calls us to wait, will we wait, wait anxiously or expectantly? That's the big question. You don't have a decision as to whether to wait or not. God's going to do what he's going to do in his time. But the question is, how will we wait? Will we wait anxiously or will we wait expectantly? Here's the message that I want for us to walk away with as we start out this series in Acts. You can trust Jesus. You can trust his word. And you can trust his timing. 
You can trust Jesus. He is the living fulfillment of God's promise. You can trust his word. Everything that he has said, everything that he has promised, he has fulfilled. He's never failed. You can trust him. In, In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus today, we are still waiting. Not all of the promises have been fulfilled, have they? It says that we're still awaiting his coming to be with him. We're still waiting. How are we going to wait? Are we going to wait anxiously, wringing our hands, worry about everything that happens in this world, or with expectancy that God will, he will, at just the right time. We just might need to wait for a while. You can also trust his timing. You can wait with expectancy and not anxiously. You can. I wonder about those followers of Jesus. As Jesus said, do not leave. Do not leave Jerusalem. Stay here and wait. I wonder how they were feeling after three days. <laughs> it's been a long, like, it's too long. Right? How long is it going to be? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? If they decided not to wait. Hey, we were with Jesus for three years. We saw him do his thing. We know what to do. We're just, we're going to go now. Time's wasting. Can you imagine if they had just said, we're going to go out and do it on our own? It would have been a miserable failure. You cannot do what I've called you to do without my power, without my strength, without my spirit. So wait. And they did. And they waited, and they waited, until once again, the promise was fulfilled, and his spirit was poured out, and it changed everything. Not just then, but it changed everything now for everyone who knows him. I want you to know that I am waiting expectantly for God to do a new thing in us. I told you at the beginning, I've been praying for that, and I... I just believe that as God has throughout the history of this church, he has done a fresh new work in people. I've just been praying with expectancy that he will. That he will do a fresh work in me. He will pour his spirit. He will fill me with the spirit in a fresh new way. And that he will for you as well. And I'm not anxious about that. I'm not worried about that. I am expectant and excited to see what God wants to do. Because the fact is we cannot live out God's plans and purposes without His Spirit. We cannot fulfill the mission that God has given us as His church without His Spirit. And if you know Him and you love Him, here's the truth. You already have His Spirit. You have His helper. His power lives in you to enable you to do everything. You will never come short in what you need to do what God has called of you. We still need to learn how to wait. At least for me, I'm not very good at it. And, and yet, Scripture speaks of this idea of walking with the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, not running ahead, not falling behind, but staying in step with His Spirit. And you know what? That means I don't set the pace, Holy Spirit sets the pace. And sometimes you feel like, God, you're, you're moving too fast here. 
And sometimes we feel like he's going too slow. But what if, what if we were to learn how to wait with expectancy for what God's going to do in his timing? And the reason we have confidence to do that is because God has always answered. God has always, always, always fulfilled his promises, including the promise of giving his spirit, whom we need for every single day of our lives. I want to ask you to stand up with me. As we conclude this first message in this first series as we walk through Acts, and I just want to ask you something. As we dive in, as, as we begin to explore the early church, I pray, I pray that you will not see this as a history lesson. Yes, we will look back and see what God did then, but it's just a picture of what he is doing now and wants to do now. And so my prayer is this, that we would trust Jesus, that we would trust his word and that we would trust his timing. So is there something that God is asking you to wait for right now? Has he asked you to wait? If so, you can trust him. And you can even wait, expecting him to do something good and great at just the right time. Do you trust him? Oh, man, I pray that you do. Jesus, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for this beautiful picture of Jesus, your final words to your followers, and your final words were, my father always keeps his promise. And I do too, and I promise you, I promise you that you will receive the power you need. Just wait. And I pray, God, that during this series, during this time walking through this book of Acts, that you would increase our trust in you And I pray that you'd pour out your spirit in a fresh way on us because we are hungry and thirsty for you to do a new thing in our lives. And I wait expectantly for you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, family. Thank you for being here today. Look forward to seeing you next week as we go a little further in Acts. Have a good day.